Well, Merry Christmas. So glad to be able to gather on the day that we set aside to celebrate the birth of Christ. And Christmas has come to mean lots of things, so many things to so many people, especially here in America. Clark gets that bonus check, has the vacation. Buddy finally reconciles with his father. Yeah, Ralphie and the Red Rider, Grinch's little heart, Scrooge becoming generous, on and on and on. Mostly, though, what have we made it about in America? We've made it about gifts, stuff, which, again, in its place can be fine. But I would be curious to know how many of the gifts represented in this room will be in the landfill about this time next year. <laughs> Jesus was right, wasn't he, that moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, plastic breaks the new wears off. <laughs> I'm not against any of that in moderation, but we must continually recalibrate, maintain that Jesus, in fact, is the reason for the season. In fact, he's the reason for all things. And God's gift is the greatest gift one could ever imagine. It's fitting that we conclude our Advent season on Christmas Sunday. And what have we seen over these last several weeks? What story have we been told so far in Advent? Well, in week one, we saw the destruction of the devil. 1 John 3, 8, our enemy is defeated. There we heard that the reason the Son of God appeared, the reason for Christmas, was to destroy the works of the devil. Then we saw the next week that he would be born of a virgin. He'd be called Emmanuel, God with us. And then we considered Hebrews 1. Saw that Jesus is the image of God. He is the exact imprint of his nature. He's our great prophet. He's our great priest. He's our great king. And then we saw that he's the word made flesh for us and for our salvation. And this morning, I want us to consider one of the more popular verses, at least in America, and that's John 3.16. You'll want a Bible, so if you don't have one, there should be a Bible there in front of you in the chair. John chapter 3. If you're using one of those chair Bibles, it's page 835. Feel free to turn on your phone, whatever you need. We're going to just Read some verses here and just ask some questions. So look with me. The Gospel according to John, chapter 3, verses 16 to 21. John three sixteen to 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So let's just ask some questions of these verses. What is God's gift? Well, it's his only son. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God's gift is the greatest one could ever imagine. Who's the son? Well, it's Jesus. It's Jesus of Nazareth. 
The Son was always with the Father, but God's gracious gift was to give him for us. This is what we saw last week. Remember, just look on the other page. Maybe you have to flip back one to John chapter 1, verse 1. Who is this? Son. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And then verse 14 of chapter 1, who is this son? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the eternal word made flesh. Who is the son? Jesus is. Jesus is the son of God. And why did the father give the gift of the son? What does the text say? God so loved the world. Love is what compelled the Father to give the Son. Love motivated the Creator to give. Romans 5, 8, God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Or Ephesians 2 says that though we were dead in our sins, because of the great love with which He loved us, God made us alive together with Christ. The Father gave because the Father loves and what did this giving entail? Ultimately, the cross. Giving over to death on the cross. His birth had a purpose. To give him a body that was capable of dying. Dying in the place of sinners like you and I. He took the form of a servant. He was born in the likeness of men. He was found in human form and he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. God so loved the world. You know the word so here in John 3.16 actually is not getting it, the measure of God's love. But the manner, the word is a means word. Not a greatness word, but a means word. The, the word is normally translated in this way. In fact, the Christian Standard Bible took a bold move by breaking with tradition. And this is how they translate John 3.16, I think actually more accurately. For God loved the world in this way. Instead of God so loved the world, God loved the world in this way. How? He gave. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. This love motivated God to send the son to die a substitutionary death on the cross. So what did the giving entail? Well, ultimately, the gift of his own son. The ultimate gift of God is Christ crucified in the place of sinners. Listen to how John puts it in 1 John 4, 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world. This is how God shows his love, the cross, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The love of God manifests itself in the gift of the Son ultimately to die on the cross. The love of God is made manifest in Him giving His one and only Son as the propitiation for our sins. It's a big word. It just means the sacrifice that absorbs the wrath of God. It's what we need. Our biggest problem is our sin that causes God to be wrathful toward us. And out of love, Jesus gives His Son to be the sacrifice that absorbs that wrath. He took the wrath instead of us. Romans 8.31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare 
his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. He's given us his own son. Will he not spare everything we need? Of course he will not. But how do we receive this gift? What does the verse say? So that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We receive the gift of eternal life through faith, through believing. In fact, flip over to John chapter 6 a couple pages and see how Jesus puts it. We don't have to work our way. We don't have to merit this gift. It's not a wage. It's a gift to be received by faith. Look at John chapter 6, verse 28. Then they said to Jesus, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. What work are you called to? How do you receive this gift? First and foremost, belief, faith, trust. The empty hands of faith is how we receive the gift of eternal life. What's the result of receiving this gift? Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The result is that you won't perish. You won't die, will not die. The reality is we all die, and we all deserve to die because of our sin. That's what the Bible teaches. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Do you want to escape death? You do. Everyone does. Jesus is the only way. Death had no claim on him, therefore death has no claim on his people. And again, one of our greatest needs, all people fear death. You know, think about all the various phobias. All the various phobias are ultimately the fear of dying, aren't they? Think about it. Why are people scared of heights? Might fall and die. Why are people scared of spiders? They might get bit and die. Why are people scared of drowning? They'll drown to death. <laughs> Cancer, because it's often terminal. Claustrophobia, because you may get squeezed to death. Germaphobe, you may catch a disease and die. Storms, a tornado may kill you. Sharks. They might eat you. Sharknados. You got bigger problems. I got nothing for you. <laughs> we can joke, but it's actually deadly serious. But the gift of God is ultimately the overcoming of death. The last enemy. The conquering of death. Listen to the way the author of Hebrews puts it in Hebrews chapter 2. He tells us another reason. I love these passages that just tell us the reason for Christmas. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14. It's kind of wordy. Let me read it to you though. Since therefore the children, that's us, share in flesh and blood. We have bodies. He, Jesus, he himself likewise partook of the same things. In other words, Jesus took on flesh and blood. In other words, the incarnation. In other words, what we're talking about here, Christmas. 
Jesus took on flesh and blood. He partook of the same things. And here's the reason. So that, why did Jesus come? Why did the word become flesh? So that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Every single human being Their whole life is in slavery to the fear of death. And one of the reasons of Christmas is to free us from that fear by defeating the one who has the power of death, the devil, through the death of the son. For surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. Here it is again, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. No death, therefore no fear of death. Merry Christmas. That's what we sing, isn't it? Mild he lays his glory by born. He was born that men no more may die. The gift of God is the conquering of death. No death No fear of death, no death, and no condemnation. Look back at John chapter 3. Look at verse 18. John 3, 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. If anyone is in Christ, there is no condemnation, no judgment, and ultimately no death but eternal life. When you trust Christ... When you believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, your sins are forgiven, your conscience is cleansed, your guilt is removed, and you receive eternal life, unending life. Talk about the gift that keeps on giving. Never-ending life with God. But that, that with God portion is actually really important. To live forever is not that appealing to me. But to live forever in the presence of Christ our King, now that's life. That is eternal life. Knowing him. Flip over to John chapter 17. Gospel of John chapter 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you've given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you. The only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. What is eternal life? It's knowing God. If knowing God doesn't interest you in this age, it won't interest you in all eternity. It's what eternal life is. Knowing God. You know, we're in the gospel according to John. We've been in the gospel according to Matthew. We've got four gospels. The other three speak a ton about the kingdom of God. Almost on every page, kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. God is restoring his rule on earth through his son and then through the people of that son. But John actually rarely uses kingdom language. It's kind of interesting. Instead, he uses this language here of eternal life. But they're really referring to the same idea. In fact, you see that in our very chapter. Look at John chapter 3, verse 3, as he's speaking to Nicodemus. Jesus answered him, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter, cannot see the kingdom. But then look over at verse 15. Whoever believes in him may have eternal life. They're really the same idea in John's mind. To enter the kingdom here and now is to enter eternal life here and now. For John, eternal life is not merely 
heaven are not merely the eternal state, just like the kingdom's not. Maybe a better translation for eternal life would be the life of the age to come. When you believe in Jesus, even this very day, you begin to experience new life, the life of the age to come. It begins when you trust Christ and it lasts forever. He came to bring his rule on earth as in heaven and the good life is living under the good reign of our gracious king. So we enter it now, the good life, the life of the age to come. Look at John chapter 10, verse 10. What's the result of receiving this gift? Life forever in the good life now. John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What a gift. But many refuse this gift. What happens if you refuse this gift? Look back at John chapter 3, verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. If you don't believe, you're condemned. Why are you condemned? Because you've sinned against the holy God. I know we don't talk about sin hardly anymore in our culture. Sadly, even in many churches, we don't talk about sin. We sometimes talk about sin like horizontally. I've been sinned against or they sinned against me, usually as a victim. But we rarely speak about sin vertically. But all sin is first and foremost vertical. All sin is first and foremost against the holy God. That's why David can pray against you and you only have I sinned. So, friend, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you need to know that you have sinned against a holy God and you stand condemned. Your greatest need is forgiveness. In fact, look the way the chapter ends here of John chapter 3. Look at verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And so if you deny this gift, if you don't trust Christ, condemnation, death, and ultimately, the wrath of God. Why? Why don't all people receive this gift? Look at verse 19. Shouldn't it be a no-brainer? Shouldn't everyone receive this gift? John three nineteen, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Why don't all receive this gift? In short, because they don't want to. Their will is not free. It's bound to their desires, and their desires are bent towards darkness. They don't want to come to the light. As Nathan put it last week, it's not like mankind is groping in the dark to find the light switch. He said that they're, no, they're in the corner cowering might even go a step further and say they've turned off the breaker. Any sunlight coming in the bottom of the door, they want to stuff a towel under it lest they be exposed. And what's the goal of God's gift of his son? Look again at verse 17. 
Let's read 16 again. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. What's the goal of God's gift of his son is to save the world. What's the world? It's the present created order in rebellion against its maker. And the goal of God's gift of his son is the salvation of the whole thing, the redemption of the cosmos. That's why we love to sing joy to the world. He loves the world. Heaven and nature will sing. He's reversing the curse. No more let thorns and thistles grow. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Right now, how far is the curse found? Everywhere. All over the world. Jesus, he's now the ruler of the world. We're celebrating the cradle, but the cradle led to a cross, which ultimately led to the crown. He was born of a virgin, lived, taught, died, was raised, and then he was enthroned at the right hand of God. And he rules the world, as we sing, with truth and grace. And he makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness. Before Christmas, the world had a different ruler. Look at John chapter 12. Because of Christmas, as we saw last week, there's a new creation. Look at John 12, 31. Now is the judgment of this world... Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Satan used to rule the kingdom of man, but as we saw in the very first week, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus has bound the strong man, Matthew 12. He's plundering his goods. Jesus is taking the devil's stuff, but it's really not the devil's, it's his. He's taking back what is rightly his. He's restoring his rule of the world, drawing all people to himself. Christmas is God's invasion plan. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. A new world is birthed with the birth of Christ, God's invasion of history, taking it back. It's what he came for, friends. He came to save the world. First John 2 puts it this way, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation. There's that word again, sacrifice that absorbs wrath. He's the propitiation for our sins, but not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. What's the purpose of Christmas? The redemption of the cosmos. 1 John 4.14, we've seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the worlds. Look at John chapter 1. We see this all over, this universal element. It's not that every single person is saved. We see that in this very context, that there's condemnation and wrath. But it's that the scope of his salvation is the whole world. John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the worlds. Flip over to John chapter 4, verse 42. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we've heard of ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Look at John chapter 6, verse 33. 
For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Flip over to John chapter 12, verse 47. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. I think his plan is much grander than we often appreciate. <coughs> a couple weeks ago, we looked at Hebrews 1. And Hebrews 1 quoted Psalm 2. I know you all remember that with crystal clarity. But let me remind you. Psalm 2 is one of the most important psalms to understand the New Testament. Let me read the key verses here about the Son, about the Messiah, about the coming King, the Psalms say this, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my Son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. What's going on there? The Father is promising the Son the nations, the world as his inheritance. In that sense, Christmas is a gift for us. There's another sense where Christmas is the Father's gift to his Son. In Ephesians 1, Paul prays that the church would understand, that we would be able to comprehend what are the riches of his inheritance in the saints. Speaking about Jesus, the saints are the inheritance given by the Father to the Son. The saints are Christ's inheritance just as the Father promised. Flip over to the book of Colossians. One more passage. Colossians chapter 1. What's the goal of God's gift of his son? Colossians 1.15. Who is this Jesus? What is he about? He's the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He came to reconcile all things ultimately. It's all for him, through him and for him. The goal of Christmas is the redemption of the world. God's gift is the greatest one could ever imagine.